Welcome to a series of netcasts brought to you by Yale University. Hello, my name is Kelly Brownell. I'm the director of the Rudd Center for Food Policy and Obesity at Yale University. Our guest for this first of four podcasts is Dr. Michael Jacobson, co-founder and executive director of the Center for Science and Public Interest, headquartered in Washington, D.C. This is a nonprofit health advocacy organization supported largely by the 850,000 subscribers to its Nutrition Action Health Letter. CSPI, under Dr. Jacobson's leadership, has taken a leading role in food policy issues for a great number of years. Dr. Jacobson has written numerous books and reports, including Nutrition Scoreboard, um, a, a liquid candy report on sugar-sweetened beverages, and other things. The CDC, Center for Disease Control Foundation, awarded him its Hero Award in 2010. Mike, I'm delighted to have you here. Thanks for having me, Kelly. So we're going to support. We're going to do four podcasts today because there's so many things I'd love to talk to you about. But this one is on the evils of food. And when you talk about the evils of food, there are particular things in food that you're concerned about as sort of the leading uh, culprits at the moment. Can you tell me what they are? Well, in brief, it's sugar, trans fat, and salt. Uh, these are some of the biggest problems contributing to major epidemic health problems, obesity, diabetes, heart disease, high blood pressure, and others. Um, why don't we start at the top? The, the single most harmful thing in our food supply is almost uh, one of the most familiar things, and that's salt. Uh, too much salt. A little bit of salt is fine, but Americans are eating far more salt, or the, really the sodium that comes from sodium chloride, far more than we should be. And too much salt raises blood pressure, which that raises the risk of heart attacks and strokes. People have estimated that if we could cut the sodium level in packaged and restaurant foods in half, not get rid of it entirely, but cut it in half, that would save upwards of 100,000 lives per year. You know, it's just unbelievable. And what makes this so difficult to work on is that salt is so familiar. You know, people think, you know, I'll just sprinkle some salt on. Or, yeah, so there's some salt on the potato chips or in the soup. You know, what's the big deal? Uh, but it is a big deal. Um, we've been uh, making efforts for 30 years to try to decrease sodium in packaged and restaurant foods. Um, and it's very challenging. Americans are actually consuming more sodium now than we did 30 years ago. That's surprising because there's some more awareness of salt. There's so much it? more awareness, but it hasn't translated into less salt being ingested. And are there particular categories of food that are um, delivering a lot of salt? Well, the first thing to remember is that it, it's the foods themselves that already contain the salt. It's not so much that sprinkle of salt that you, that you add to your food or that you use in cooking, partly because people don't cook that much anymore. Um, salt is a toughie because it's spread throughout the food supply. Some of the biggest contributors are bread, uh, and if, when you think of bread, it's also pizza crust, hamburger buns. Uh, that's a major source of, of sodium, not because each piece is so high in salt, but we eat, we eat a lot of it. Uh, packaged meats, processed meats, are high in salt. Typically, you think of ham, bacon, hot dogs, very high in salt. But in the last 20 years or so, the meat industry has begun injecting 
uh, uh, mostly pork and chicken with salt water. And some of these products contain as much as 30% added salt water. So the, the 30% of its weight. 30% of its weight is, is salt water. They call it broth. And uh, it does keep the products moister than they otherwise would. It's, it's cheating people, and it's dramatically increasing the sodium content of these foods. So chicken normally might have 70, 70 milligrams of sodium for a three-ounce serving. When it's injected, it might have 300 or 400 milligrams of sodium. What a difference. So it's, it's astonishing. So we consume sodium from so many different sources you know, um, um, that uh, it's, it, the whole industry needs to lower sodium levels. You mentioned soups along the way. Are they? Um, 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 soups are high in salt, and part of the reason is that the servings are huge. So... A serving of the official serving size of soup is eight ounces. It's half a pound, whereas the serving size of potato chips, say, um, is one ounce, or the serving size of chicken might be three or four ounces. Soup, there's a large volume to to salt, so you end up with a lot of salt. And the serving sizes, the official serving size, is really an underestimate. We did a survey and found that the average person consumes not eight ounces or half a can of soup, but the whole can. Two-thirds of people consume the whole can. So you're getting two and a half times what the label says. As much salt as an adult should have in an entire day. So why are companies putting so much salt in these products? Uh, their soups don't have much flavor without salt. You know, chicken noodle soup, they drag a chicken through 100 gallons of water and there's a little bit of chicken flavor. Salt is the cheapest flavoring there is. So if you don't have much tasty food, you need salt. But there are a lot of other reasons besides the flavors. It's a preservative. It, it balances out if a food is bitter. This adding salt can balance out the bitterness. Um, we did a survey of different categories of foods, and what we found was that in almost any given category, soups, uh, potato chips, hot dogs, when you compare one brand to another, there are huge variations. Some brands might have two or three times as much as another brand. And what that shows is that some companies could dramatically lower the sodium content and still have perfectly marketable foods. So I'd like to come back at, toward the end of our discussion about what might be done about these things. But you mentioned salt. Trans right. fat as well. Tra Why is trans fat an issue? Trans fat is the most harmful fat on a gram-for-gram -gram basis in causing heart disease. It's something we need to consume a lot less of. There's been a huge controversy over the last 15 years about trans fat. Uh, ultimately, five years ago, the FDA required it to be listed on labels. And that, plus lawsuits and bad publicity, has spurred many large companies and some smaller ones to replace the source of trans fat, partially hydrogenated oil, with healthier oils. And I would guess two-thirds of the trans fat has gotten out of the food supply, has been eliminated. We still have one-third to eliminate, and that would save thousands of, of, of lives a year. Sugar. So that's the second okay. uh, sugar of the was big the third. evils. The third big evil is sugar. And again, it's not inherently toxic. It's the amounts that people are consuming. Uh, the average person consumes something like 100 pounds a year of sugar and high fructose corn syrup. And 
too much sugar uh, promotes weight gain. And the biggest culprit is sugary beverages, carbonated soft drinks in particular. Something that um, the sugar the and the sugar that occurs naturally in foods is not a problem. The sugar in a peach or orange juice or milk, and we just shouldn't worry about that. Um, we need to focus on added sugars, but food labels don't show added sugars. They show total sugars, and there's no recommended limit on <clears throat> food labels for sugars. So these are a couple of things that have to be changed: lower sugar intake reduce um, um, weight gain, uh, hopefully tackle some of the uh, obesity epidemic, and reduce tooth decay at the same time. Um, can you count on companies to voluntarily make these changes? In some cases, there's been progress. Trans fat, there's been a, large, a, a lot of progress. And what's made it easy is that there are simple substitutes in most foods. Right. So companies could switch to vegetable oil. Well, I guess the, the word voluntary is interesting here because when you were talking prior, prior to this about the trans fat changes, you were saying that the company started to change this because of lawsuits, bad publicity, regulations like occurred in New York City getting rid of the trans fat. So it looked like things were happening outside the company that pressured them to make these changes. That's right. And in general, companies aren't going to change unless they're forced to. And a good example is salt. Back in 1980 or so, the Food and Drug Administration urged companies to reduce sodium levels in their products. The result? We're consuming more salt now than we did back in 1980. So voluntary efforts did virtually nothing back then. Um, now there's pressure on industry. There's been bad publicity, a little bit of litigation, and recommendations from the Institute of Medicine to cut down on salt. And the Food and Drug Administration is actively looking at ways to uh, force the industry to reduce sodium. Um, an interesting new uh, factor is Walmart telling companies, telling its suppliers like General Mills and Kraft, that they need to lower sodium levels by about 20 or 25 percent in the next four years. And it'll be interesting to see if Walmart can have a bigger effect and a faster effect than the Food and Drug Administration. But companies are feeling pressure now on salt. And sugar, not so much. Uh, although all the publicity about obesity has increased sales of diet soda, decreased sales of regular soda. So there's been, not that the companies have made, have lowered the sodium, the, have lowered the sugar content of Coca-Cola or Pepsi, but they're marketing other products that are lower in sugar. And that's good. You know, I've heard um, one argument in favor of government intervention here is that if one company within a category reduces salt, let's say, one soup company does, or one soda company reduces its sugar, but people still like the original versions, and then their competitors are going to win out, and the original company that made the change is going to have to give up and go back to their original level to remain competitive. But if government requires all the companies to do these things at the same time, then it becomes an even playing field. Does that argument make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Um, it, it really works. Uh, salt is a good example. Uh, companies don't like to advertise less salt because people think less taste. And in some cases it's true. In other cases it's not true. But that's a situation where government needs to move in and set a limit and protect the companies 
that want to do a better job and move the whole industry in a lower sodium direction. You know, it's interesting that um, with some products being reformulated, um, letting people know that the product is changing in a healthier direction becomes a disadvantage, like you said with the salt. But in other cases, the companies crow about their changes, like the trans, no trans fat or right. no cholesterol or things like that. So that's a very interesting area where consumer research could be helpful, is figuring out which product, product changes should be silent and which should be boasted about. Yeah, and the companies absolutely know that. An interesting exception is with salt, that some companies, are, say, um, advertise their products now contain sea salt. It tastes the same as regular salt, but it sounds better. It sounds like a health food. And uh, so that's uh, companies kind of turning the formula upside down through clever marketing. So it sounds like from what you're saying that these changes in product formulations would be highly beneficial to public health. In some cases, they're not hard to make, but government will have to create the changes by forcing the companies to do it because it's unlikely they'll do them voluntarily. Yeah, absolutely right. Okay. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. I very much appreciate it. Thanks, Kelly. Our guest today was Dr. Michael Jacobson, co-founder and executive director of the Center for Science and Public Interest. Please visit our website at www.yalerudcenter.org, where you'll find a variety of resources on food policy issues, including links to other excellent podcasts that have been recorded. Thank you.